From 12 News, this is Newsmakers. Welcome to Newsmakers. I'm Ted Nisi. Tim White is off this week. And what a week it's been. Rhode Island Congressman David Cicilline shocked the political world on Tuesday when he announced he will resign in June to become the new CEO of the Rhode Island Foundation. I sat down with Cicilline the morning his decision was announced. Here's our conversation. Well, you've made quite a bit of news this morning, Congressman Cicilline. First, congratulations uh, you. on your big decision. Um, was it a hard decision? Well, you know, I was approached by the search uh, firm that was doing the search for the new president CEO, and initially I... When? Uh, a couple months ago. And, you know, sort of the more I thought about the opportunity, the more excited I became as I learned about the work of the foundation, which is really focused on kind of three key areas, making sure we create economic opportunities for all Rhode Islanders, making sure folks have access to quality, affordable health care, and really promoting excellence in education to give young people all the opportunities they deserve. And I reflected that's been the work of the last 30 years for me in elective office. And so I saw this as an opportunity to build upon that work and continue uh, to do things that, that I think will help Rhode Island. And, you know, I ran for public office in every office I've held for one reason, to try to make life better for Rhode Islanders. And the Rhode Island Foundation, I think, is a very unique organization. I think I can help bring it to the next level and have an even greater impact than it's already had on things that I really care about and I know that are important to Rhode Islanders. So um, I'm going to miss lots of things about the job in Washington, lots of great friendships and many of the important issues I was working on. But I'm really excited about what I'm going to be able to do um, here in Rhode Island and be able to see kind of very clearly the work and the impact of the work, much more like when I was mayor. Um, and I'm excited about that. Um, Neil Steinberg has done an incredible job in leading the foundation, and I feel really privileged to have this honor for the, the next period. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious just a little about that. It was, it's such a big decision for you, as well as for thinking about representation for your home state. Um, you were approached, you said, a few months ago. When, when did you finally realize, I think I'm going to do this? Uh, in the last few days. Oh, so this is a very uh, recent yeah, this decision. Yeah, very recent, yeah. And uh, the board met this morning and formally uh, voted to extend the offer to me, which I accepted this morning. So, um, you know, I've been thinking about it since the very first conversation, um, had a lot of discussions about it. But I really see it as a tremendous opportunity. The Round Foundation is one of the largest and oldest community foundations in America. Um, it, I think, has a tremendous uh, potential to grow even more. And there's no important issue in the state of Rhode Island that the Rhode Island Foundation isn't involved in some way, either as a convener, as someone who's helping to promote good planning of an issue, or as, you know, supporting organizations that are doing really critical work. And there's so much to be proud of in, in the work of the Rhode Island Foundation. And it's the things that I love and I care about and things that are important to Rhode Island. So it's sort of all the good stuff and none of the kind of challenges that Washington sometimes presents. And, um, you know, it's a it's a exciting opportunity for me. And the timing isn't perfect because, you know, it would be better if it would happen at the end of a term rather than in the middle. But it, when it presented itself, I thought it was a moment that I could make a real difference in Rhode Island by leading this great organization. I'm really excited about it. So, I mean, uh, you know, you'd, you've been on the rise in Congress. You get, you know, it's a seniority game there where you stay and stay and stay and stay. I mean, uh, you know, I guess what, what are you, what is the unfinished business that maybe would have kept you there, but in the end you made the, you waited in the balance and decided this was the job to take? Yeah, look, there's a lot of things that I have worked on, a lot of, of uh, work that I've gotten done that I'm very proud of, and I'm going to take a lot of uh, uh, joy in that. Um, I also get, tend to focus on issues that require longer periods of time, big issues like reigning in big tech, the assault weapons ban, the Equality Act, those things are going to take longer. 
but I know that I have colleagues that are already eager to take the leadership in moving those items forward. And so, you know, some of those things you just know take longer. Um, I'm proud of what I was able to get done working with Sheldon and Jack and Jim and now Seth. We have a great congressional delegation, and I'm excited I'm going to continue to have the opportunity to work with them in my new position as well. So there'll be a special election now to replace you. We don't know the exact time, I think later in the year after your vacancy becomes official. Um, what's your advice to the many, many, many people many. who are this morning thinking about whether to throw their hat in the ring? Uh, I'd say two things. One, it's a great job. Um, understand that your responsibility is to serve the people of Rhode Island and solve the problems they have every single day. Hire great staff. I have been blessed with extraordinary people in every office I've held, and particularly now in Washington and here in Rhode Island, who do incredible work. Uh, and so having a really good team to serve uh, people in Rhode Island. Um, but it's a great job. I'm sure there will be a lot of interest in it. And, you know, I hope we're going to get to a point where there's less division in Washington and, and uh, we can get more things done. But I think we'll have a lot of talented people that are interested in this job, and I know we'll elect some great new member who's going to do good things for Rhode Island. You might hope for less division, but uh, I watched you on my TV screen during the last month as they, uh, this House struggled to even elect a speaker, something you'd never seen before. I mean, you know, you can tell me, everyone, I will never not believe that to some extent you looked around at the current state of the House and it was maybe less appealing than it has been in the past. Look, I mean, I think the House has always been... Um, a partisan place, at least for most of the time that I've been there. I think it's gotten particularly bad now with the new Republican majority. But I think people who know me know that I, there's part of me that enjoys that battle. And, you know, I think someone described me as a brawler, which I took as a compliment. I think I've used that word, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, when you want to get things done, there's no question that the new Republican majority presented some real challenges, even in the early days, about whether we're going to really be able to move things forward. The last two years in Congress, we had the most effective Congress, at least in my lifetime. We got the most done, uh, and I'm really proud of that. I think it's going to be a challenge for the next two years, um, but I hope it's going to be a temporary challenge. But what I knew for sure is, as I thought about where can I make the biggest difference in Rhode Island, leading this incredible organization that's involved in all of the things that matter, healthcare and economic opportunity and education, or, you know, spending the next few years in the House. And there was no question that I am certain that I'm going to have a greater impact on Rhode Island and improving the lives of Rhode Islanders as the president and CEO of the Rhode Island Foundation. I mentioned unfinished business, but I should ask, 12 years in the House, uh, what are you proudest of? What, what do you feel is your greatest achievement in these 12 years? You know, I, I would say that um, work that I did to, to ban uh, non-compete and uh, mandatory arbitration clauses, which is helping millions of people, particularly women, who are victims of sexual assault and sexual violence. Uh, work that just that passed last year, yes, right? Yeah. Work that I led to rein in big tech. Some of that we passed, some remains unfinished. But passing the Equality Act, passing the assault weapons ban in the House, uh, there's, they languish in the Senate, but those are two really important bills to me. But the most important accomplishment for me has been that the service I've been able to provide to Rhode Islanders who had particular problems, couldn't get into the VA, had a problem with their Social Security check, things that might seem small but are really important in the lives of Rhode yeah, Islanders. Yeah, because some people, when you talk about constituent service, sort of roll their eyes, say, well, you know, they just, you know, of course they like that because that person votes for them. Then how important is that compared to, you know, trying to pass a bill or no, being tough really, at a hearing? Look, it's really important because when someone calls a congressional office, they are at wit's end. They've had their, they've tried everywhere else, and it's help they really need. So it's always been really important to me and, and to the staff that I have had here in Rhode Island. Uh, I'm really proud of the work they've done. 
But obviously, you know, passing the American Rescue Plan and passing the CHIPS Act and passing this gigantic infrastructure bill, which is bringing billions of dollars to Rhode Island, creating good paying jobs, that's consequential too. So there's a lot I'm proud of. Uh, I leave, I hope, with a reputation of having served Rhode Island well. Um, I've had an outpouring of support from my colleagues who uh, it's been great to work with, but all understanding that this is a place where I can continue to make a real difference. I have to ask you about your status as uh, one of the path-breaking LGBT uh, politicians in Rhode Island and nationally. Um, I just, I'm curious, if you think back to when you won your first election in the 90s to the General Assembly, to where gay Americans, LGBTQ Americans are today, I don't know. How, what comes to mind when you contrast the situations? Well, there's two things. One is we've made tremendous progress. I was the first openly gay mayor of a capital city elected when I was elected mayor. When I got to Congress, there were three LGBTQ members. We now have 12, so we broke double digits. Um, but at the same time, we're seeing our community under relentless attack all across the country. We remain the only community in America that it's legal to discriminate against. State legislatures are passing lots of anti-LGBT legislation. And so we're still in a struggle for our fight for full equality. Um, I think it's important for people from our community to be represented not only in Congress, but in leading community foundations and other roles so that young people can see themselves in those roles. So I hope I will provide that to, to young people. But we're still in a fight. We still haven't achieved full equality. but. We have much greater representation than we've ever had, which is great news. You also, I believe you sponsored the first marriage equality bill in Rhode Island. Is that is my memory yeah. correct? Uh, do you think you, if I had told, if you could go back in time and tell the newly elected freshman General Assembly member, David Cicilline, what the legal status of gay Americans would be now, did you, did you think it would, it would progress that fast? Or has it gone? I'm sure you hoped it would. But. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say, I mean, I think to a lot of people it seems fast. It's been decades. I, it's been a long grueling fight for equality we we're not there yet you know it is you know we still don't have civil rights protections against discrimination in housing and employment public accommodations education federal funding so the equality act is intended to bring about full equality and prevent discrimination in all those areas so we still have work to do um, having representation from our community in congress and in state legislatures i think makes a big difference but we're not there yet, and um, I, we have great, I have great colleagues I know are going to continue to be champions for that and make sure we get it done. You're known for being very uh, relentless, as your exhausted staff will sometimes describe you, uh, and always out and about in the district. When you look across the first district, um, what do you think are the biggest challenges this district specifically will face in the coming years, and what do you think are the biggest opportunities for your district, this part of this yeah, little corner of America? Yeah, I would say first, you know, the, the kind of uh, folklore about me going to everything is you know, partly true, um, but the reality is I have always considered being out, you know, at five or six events a night to be a central part of the job. A lot of people think like, oh, it's just sort of extra, but the work is writing legislation. My view is that when you're out every day at five or six events, you are hearing from lots of people who you work for. You know, the people who live in the district are my boss. And so you hear from them every day about what they like you're doing, what they think you should be doing, what they disagree with, what their biggest anxieties are, what they're worried about, 
all of that informs what you work on. And so I consider that to be an essential part of any job when you're in elective office, to be out there just constantly getting feedback about what you need to be working on. Uh, and I think it made me a better elected official, a more responsive elected official. One of the things I'm excited about with this new position is it includes that as well. There's a real role as the president CEO to be out in the community doing that work. And I think, you know, we've done a lot of work to create economic opportunities in Rhode Island. I'm very proud that our delegation punches way above its weight in bringing money back to Rhode Island to create good paying jobs, uh, to help really strengthen Rhode Island manufacturing, which is so important, to rebuild our infrastructure, to invest in education. So I think there's a lot of opportunities, a lot of exciting things that we can build on that have already begun that I hope uh, a new member of Congress will focus on, but also that the Rhode Island Foundation can continue to work. At the same time, I mean, you're leaving this year now. Jim Langevin left last year. Rhode Island is about to have about as junior a delegation in the House as you could have. I mean, is that going to hurt the state? No, you know, it's interesting. I think um, someone told me the other day, like, half of the Congress has been there less than five years. So there's a big turnover. Uh, I think there's some value in that. When you bring new people and new energy and new ideas, I think it's good for the institution. Um, but I have no doubt Seth Magaziner will quickly establish himself as a leader in, in the Democratic uh, caucus, and I think whoever we elect will do the same. We also, of course, have Senator Reid and Senator Whitehouse, who hold very important positions in the Senate. So uh, I think we will always have a delegation that really does do more than many delegations our size across the country because we work together closely because our state, you know, kind of every level of state government works closely and I think we produce better results as a, as a consequence. I assume your new job precludes it, but would you, do you, could you see yourself endorsing for your successor? I, I think my n new job does preclude it. It's really important that uh, I make it clear that in my new role I I'm not a partisan. Uh, a know, nonpartisan non David Cicilline? David Cicilline. Wow, this is a change. It's a change, <laughs> but um, an exciting one, and one where I think uh, I can take all the lessons of the last 30 years, all that I've learned, all the relationships that I have built, and leverage them for greater success for Rhode Island through the philanthropic work of the Great Rhode Island Foundation. In politician age, you're actually not very old yet, as we see people saying on to their 90s in Congress. So um, in that sense, you're still a fairly young man. Could you see yourself going back into elected office, someday, public office, running again? Or is this is this it? This, that chapter of your life is ending now? Yeah, I mean, that's my intention to stay very focused on this new role and make sure, like, as in every job I've ever had, I'm going to put 100% of my heart and soul into this work to be the best president and CEO I can be and to make the biggest difference. I don't have any plans to run for office after this. Um, and I intend to really make this my work and be very focused on being the best president and CEO of the Round Foundation I can be. And last question on that. Do you see, you mentioned convening earlier, so it sounds like you, you plan to continue Neil Steinberg's efforts to kind of make the Round Foundation sort of a Switzerland and some of these big state policy debates and things like that? Absolutely. And I also think there are tremendous opportunities to partner with, you know, I'm friendly with the head of the Rockefeller Foundation, Ross Shaw, Darren at the Ford Foundation. I think there's also some tremendous opportunities to work with other organizations, particularly national foundations, to leverage some of the investments we're making here in Rhode Island. So um, that convening authority to bring together people to think smartly about tough issues and come to uh, the development of good plans and good initiatives, I think, is a very critical role of the Rhode Island Foundation and one that I intend to continue. Congressman Cicilline, thanks for sitting down with me. My pleasure. Coming up, Congressman Cicilline's resignation has turned this from an off year to a big year in Rhode Island politics. We'll tell you who might run in the special election to replace him and what it will take to win with our political roundtable. Stick with us on Newsmakers.
Welcome back to Newsmakers. I'm Ted Nisi, and joining me for the second half is 12 News political analyst Joe Fleming and Target 12 investigative uh, reporter and political reporter Steph Machado. Good to have you both with me. Didn't know I'd be getting the band back together <laughs> this quickly to talk campaign dynamics, but here we are. Um, so this will be Rhode Island's first special election for Congress since 1967 when John Fogarty died. Steph, right now we don't even know when the election will be. Sort of give us the quick briefing on where it stands as of this Friday morning. Yeah, so because Cicilline isn't resigning until June 1st, we have to wait until the seat is open before the governor can call for a special election, and then the Secretary of State will set the date. He has said that it could be early uh, August or early September for the primary, which would put us at a general election in October or November. Okay, so we're, we are looking at something somewhat like our usual rhythm for an election year, just in an off year. And Joe, as I said, first special election for Congress yep. since 1967. Special elections have different dynamics from regular general elections. What's going to be different about this? Well, it's going to be different. First off, most people, if they're an elected official and they decide to run for Congress, they're giving up nothing. Mm. So it's worth taking a chance for a lot of these Meaning people. Meaning you can run while keeping your current office. Exactly. So if you lose, you go back to your current office. I think that's going to get more candidates to think about running at this point. The other thing to keep in mind is simply, we have, as you said, we have not had a special election since 67. We don't know what the turnout's going to be like. If it's in August, it's going to probably be smaller than it is in September. But a new factor to consider, we have early voting. We have mail ballot voting now for everybody. So that could increase the turnout. And right, the other thing is to be who's running in the Democratic and Republican side. That also will have an effect on the turnout and what happens in Rhode Island. Well, let's talk about some of the potential candidates. Um, we have a running updated list on our website, dairyperry.com, that Steph and I and Eli Sherman, Tim White, getting longer and longer. Day. We keep adding names, moving people around as they stay in and out. You can check that out. We'll put it on the Newsmakers page. But I'd say uh, among the people getting discussed the most is someone you've covered a long time, Steph, Lieutenant Governor Sabina Matos, of course, who was the Providence City Council president. What have you observed about her over the years as you imagine how she might handle this major decision. Right, and it is a big decision because she just won a four-year term as lieutenant governor just this past fall that she just, you know, began the, her term, right, last month. But I've, you know, covered her on the city council. She was on the council for 10 years, and I have found her to be a very uh, methodical, thoughtful person, always very, I would say, intentional about what she says. And so she has said she is sincerely considering um, a run for Congress at this point. Um, and so we'll see if she decides to jump in. She does live in Providence in Olneyville, which is in CD2. And so while she has a base of support in Providence, we'll be watching to see does she have that kind of support in CD1s or the east side of Providence? And just to remind people, constitutionally, you don't have to live in the district. You just have to live That's in right. the state you want to represent. So someone from one district can run to the other. We saw that, of course, at first with Magaziner before he moved. And, Joe, another candidate getting some buzz, Helena Folks. Right. She had that strong second-place finish in the gubernatorial primary last year. On the other hand, she's never been elected to anything. Why is she being discussed in the top tier already? Well, a couple of things. First, because she had a strong finish in the governor's primary. Uh, she came on at the very end, uh, basically right after the Channel 12 governor's debate, where she really was outstanding. People started to look at her, thought she could be the governor. She came very close. On the machine count, she was right there. It was the absentee ballots where she was farther behind. The other thing is simply, she can self-fund the campaign. She could put a lot of money into the campaign, and a candidate think about running against her will say, well, if she's going to have a half million or million dollars, I can't raise that type of money, so I might not get in. 
she could be a very credible candidate if she decides to get in the race. And I know from my own reporting, both of them very seriously talking about it as we tape this Friday morning. I expect they'll still be thinking about it when this airs on Sunday morning. Um, another candidate uh, we're keeping an eye on, a potential candidate, they're all potential candidates, is Gabe Amos. Viewers, you ought to be familiar with him because we just profiled him coincidentally last month. He's a Biden White House official from Pawtucket, obviously has uh, connections to the Raimondo world, the Sheldon White House world from his years around, and now the Biden-Obama White House. He's looking at it as well by all accounts. But there's also he's just one, as are the other two of, I think, roughly two dozen candidates right. yep. we have on our list right now, Steph. And, you know, some of these people, state lawmakers, uh, mayors, municipal officials, you know, they feel like they've, they've, they've been elected to some important positions. Um, we're kind of getting the sense there might be some frustration about the focus on Sabina Matos, on Helena Folks. Well, so on Tuesday, I was running around getting some of the, uh, you know, wh- whatever potential candidates wanted to go on camera, <laughs> yeah. right, and spoke to some, a couple and of... And smart to go on camera, the first day, if you will, because you get on TV right away. Yeah, because state senators, state reps, they don't have the statewide name recognition that a Helena Folks or a Sabina Matos has. And so I was speaking to um, Senator Megan Coleman of Pawtucket, and I asked her, I said, look, if, if Helena Folks or Sabina Matos gets in the race, does that change your calculation at all in terms of whether you'll run? She gave us a response, but then when the interview was over, she said, can you turn the camera back on? I have something else to say about that. And so here's that soundbite. And one of the reasons why I'm not intimidated by people who have more fundraising um, who are wealthier than I am is because I don't believe we should live in a pay-to-play democracy, right? Like, I believe we should live in a democracy that is representative of the needs and wants of the people of our communities. And, you know, I hear that every cycle. And I don't want to diminish it. I know people get frustrated. I'm sure viewers get frustrated hearing us already talking about money and Mm -hmm. fundraising. And yet, Joe, we're not doing it to be money-grubbing or anything. It's just we both learn from watching a lot of campaigns. It just matters. Money talks. The thing is, if you're not that well-known, you're a state senator, state representative, you have to spend a lot of money just to get known. And that's TV, radio, and that's very expensive. You're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you can't raise that, you sort of get shut out. We saw in CD2, Joy Fox raised quite a bit of money, but she still couldn't compete with Seth Magaziner in the primary, and she did not score that well in the votes. So, I mean, it's going to take a great deal of money, especially if somebody gets in a race who has a lot of money. If you have candidates that don't have a lot of money, then it's a whole different story, and it's a real free-for-all. And, and Joe, talk to you. Were, you mentioned on the other day, you were on 12 News this morning, about how you think unions and outside groups, their influence could be magnified because of a special it's election. because of a special election, because of a small turnout, especially if they have it in August. If you take all the unions in the state of Rhode Island, they could get together and probably deliver a good block of maybe 15,000 votes if they're all united. And that could almost be enough to win a special election. You've got Emily's List who can come in and really put a lot of money in to help somebody. You've got the mayors in Rhode Island who all have got together in 2022 and supported Dan McKee, James DeOsa, and helped get them over the top. So if they unite, there's a lot of fluid stuff right now. We don't know what's going to happen over the next month or two. And it, it could take probably a little time, I would say, for right. people to make the decisions, I think. What do you think, Steph? Oh, absolutely. And, and the benefit they have right now is that the declaration period is not going to be until right. June or July. And so they, everyone's running right now, right? Everyone <laughs> right. can say, I'm exploring a run. Maybe they'll open an FEC account. Some of them like having their names on the yeah, list. Yeah, they want to be on the list. And they could start <laughs> trying to fundraise and see where they get. Right. And then when the spring comes, maybe some of the state reps and senators will all coalesce around a single Mm -hmm. candidate or something like that, or the mayors will all get behind a single candidate. So by the time, I'm not expecting two dozen people to declare their (laughs) candidacy (laughs) this summer. But you always say you think sometimes people wait too long and there could be an advantage of going sooner. Yeah, sometimes if you go sooner, it can get other people out of the race. For example, if uh, the lieutenant governor or if Helena folks announces early, 
other people may say, well, I can't compete with them. I'm going to get out. But somebody might say, yes, I can. It's a special election. I could build the base I need to win. Don't count anybody out. I think back years ago with Eddie Beard running against an incumbent congressman in Rhode Island. Didn't have a lot of money. He still won that Democratic primary. Yeah, so it's that's, possible. That's why politics is so fun. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and we should briefly touch on the Republicans. Right. I mean, one reason we're f even more focused than usual on the Democratic primary here is CD1, the first district, is much more strongly Democratic than right. the second district. Not to mention, we just saw the Republicans through everything they had at that second district seat with Alan Fung, right. and they came up short. But if the Republicans could find the right candidate... Right. Sometimes special elections have a weird dynamic, like Scott Brown winning in Massachusetts right. in 2010, but it would be tough. It'll be very tough because there's so many strong Democratic areas like Pawtucket, Providence, Winsocket, North Providence, East Providence. But if you had a Republican who had some money, had some name recognition, and was more of a moderate Republican, not a very conservative Republican, you know, it could be an interesting race. Yeah. We don't Presumably, know this we're not going to see as much national money from the Republicans oh, coming uh, in as with CD2 because they thought they were going to win that right. one. I'd be right. surprised if they spent much at all, to be honest, just knowing the dynamics of the race. Only only a little bit left. Um, I actually want to go back to David Cicilline for a minute mm. because, uh, and Steph, you heard that interview there. Um, he didn't say, you know, he certainly didn't rule out ever running for office again at the end, right? <laughs> right, and, and it's an interesting time for him to take on this new job because he's going to continue to be in the public eye and have the ear of everybody because every Everyone wants to talk to the Rhode Island Foundation, right? And then if Jack Reed decides to retire... Um, we should say Reed's up in 2026. In 26, um, or his next term. But Cicilline could decide that he wants to run for Senate. And so the, the possibility of him running for office, again, I don't think is dead at this point. <laughs> it's dead at this point. And Joe, he'll leave with 830 seconds, but he'll have $850,000 still it's, in a federal campaign account. It's a good start to run for Senate. And again, if he keeps making a name as the foundation president, it's going to help him even more. Again... In politics, three, four years is a long time. Yeah. So you don't know what's going to happen. As we've learned in the last two years, right? Yeah. Whoever thought we'd have two open federal seats Correct. in Rhode Island yep. in the space of little over a year as we're, as we're experiencing right now. All right, Steph Machado, Joe Fleming, I appreciate your analysis, and we appreciate you tuning in as we have a surprise election year here in <laughs> southern New England uh, we didn't see coming. As always, whether we know it's coming or not, 12 News will be your place, your election headquarters. We will have debates. We will have analysis. We will have interviews. We will have scoops. We will have everything you need. We'll have it on Newsmakers, on 12 News, and on WPRI.com. Tim White will be back next week. We'll see you then.